Welcome to Manners and Madness, a podcast about David Lynch and Jane Austen. Last week we focused on Jane Austen. This week we pivot to the other end of the spectrum as we explore David Lynch's critically acclaimed Blue Velvet. My name is Maya Adkins and I've been a fan of both Lynch and Austen for a long time and I've conjoled my good friend to come along on this joyride with me. Hey, my name's Christian Cabrera, and I am the quintessential uh, novice of Jane Austen and David Lynch. Know little to nothing about either of them. <laughs> well, what do you know about David Lynch? I mean, I've watched, I think I watched season one of Twin Peaks. I've only was introduced to him about a year and a half to two years ago. I've watched the first season of Twin Peaks um, when the new season came out recently i think with the past year or so Uh i watched like a sort of an episode or two that was on because my boyfriend watches it a lot but yeah that's about it i don't i've never watched anything else of his (laughs) i'm very excited to bring you along on this because my personal experience is david lynch twin peaks was maybe my first thing that i ever loved (laughs) you know Uh as an adult i was well not an adult but i was maybe 12 or 13 when i watched it my mom really wanted me to watch it. She was very, she wanted me to have the same hair as the ladies. <laughs> Please <laughs> watch <laughs> this crazy series and need to have his hair. Yes. Well, but I'll, I'll go more into that Twin Peaks experience. But yeah, I've ever since then, I have just, wa- I mean, ever since Twin Peaks came ba- back out on VHS when I was in college, uh-huh. that's when I really got into all of David Lynch. And yeah, that's back when I watched Blue Velvet for the first time. But before we get into that, let us explain to you a little bit more about how we are setting up this podcast. If you listened to our previous episode, you've probably already heard this, but for the people who are just interested in David Lynch, I thought we should explain it again. What we're going to do is have Jane Austen episodes and David Lynch episodes, because we know that there, we're hoping that there's crossover that people like and want to learn about both of them. But just in case you're just more interested in one than the other or, you know, not interested in one or the other, we're going to have separate episodes. We're going to switch back and forth between Jane Austen and David Lynch episodes. But we will most likely have more Jane Austen episodes than David Lynch episodes simply because there is more Jane Austen material in the world than there is David Lynch material. But there is a surprising amount of David Lynch material, so don't worry, David Lynch fans. And since we're a new podcast, we want to make this as enjoyable to all of our listeners as possible. So we would love for you to contact us via Twitter. Our Twitter handle is at Manners Madness. Or Gmail. Manners and Madness at (laughs) gmail.com. Or you can visit our website, which is mannersandmadness.com. Oh, and we have an Instagram. Oh, yeah. Manners and Madness pod. Yes. So please get in contact with us. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, what your suggestions are, rate and review, and we'd really appreciate it. Yes, we want to hear from you. get into our first impressions what what was your first impression of blue velvet christian well i had kind of you know i obviously watched the trailer for it uh, my boyfriend has seen it before and he had told me that we were we would eventually watch it because he likes the movie a lot so i had seen the trailer for it and i had kind of this idea from that and from what i had just you know briefly read on the synopsis that that it was going to be like a crime drama thriller kind of like weird like david lynchian uh-huh. amalgamation of it different genres and i w- i really liked it i really really liked it i enjoyed watching it it did not feel like it was two hours long no because <laughs> you get fully immersed into that storyline and all the craziness that's going on yeah um, i really enjoyed it well i'm so excited uh, my first experience was probably in college and it's been a long time since I've seen it so when I rewatched it for this I the first time I rewatched it I felt like I had no idea what was happening so it was almost as if this was the first time again and it is one of those movies because I watched it a couple times this week and like all David Lynch I find the more you watch it the more you find in it because there's a lot of stuff that's easy to miss 
mm-hmm. the first time through and the second time you kind of look at everyone and everything a little bit differently. But I really enjoyed this movie. I think it's kind of the perfect David Lynch intro movie because it is, you know, it's two hours. It moves by really fast. It's mm-hmm. a very comprehensible story. Yeah. It's almost simplistic in a way. I mean, it's not simple, but just the way it's laid out is very linear and it has a happy ending, which yeah, it's like, <laughs> not always a guarantee. No. And it's got a great cast too. Oh, yeah. Isabella Rossellini, whom I love. Yes. Kyle McLaughlin, I mean. Yeah. Laura Edward, Dern. <laughs> Laura Dern. I mean, come on. Yeah. Yeah, let's get into some of the facts they found because a lot of the people in this uh, movie are people who David Lynch or, you know, behind the scenes are people who David Lynch worked with for the first time on this movie and has basically worked for with <laughs> worked <laughs> with for the rest of his career. So Blue Velvet came out in 1986. The tagline, <laughs> oh, <laughs> it's a strange world. That's, That's kind it? of a boring tagline. <laughs> oh, all right. I mean, it does fit, but yeah, you can I'm... pretty much put that on any movie. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't find it as much the world strange as much as it was scary violent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was definitely, it's, it should, maybe it should have been, it's a hidden world or, I don't know. Something more mysterious or something. We have in the cast Isabella Rossellini as Dorothy Valens, yes. Kyle MacLachlan, Dennis Hopper, Laura Dern. We get to see Francis Bay, who played Aunt Barbara, who goes on to be in several David Lynch uh, movies. And she's in a lot of other stuff, too. I don't have her IMDb in front of me, so I can't go through her whole list of her credits. But yeah, she's definitely, you're going to see her pop up. Because like um, Jane Austen, there's a lot of crossover of actors and stuff in David Lynch as well. And also just... Jack Nance, he's a very small part, and you probably—I don't even know if you would know who he is yet, because he's one of the goons, right? Yeah, he plays the guy who's married to the woman who runs the mill in yes. Twin Peaks. Yes, and Good. he's like kind of like a stay-at-home husband or something. Yeah, okay. I, I love I, him so. He was much. great. He was fun in this. Like I, yeah, I think he's so good. Yeah, he—he he was definitely my favorite of the goons. Yeah, he definitely I mean, had his own yeah. character going on. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I feel like he wasn't just like goon number three. He was like, okay, I was like, I remember him. Yeah, there's several other people in the cast who I don't really know, so I'm not really gonna get into them. Obviously, writer-director David Lynch. Oh, and Angelo Badalamenti, who does the music, he Mm -hmm. played the piano in the uh, Blue Velvet. I, I, when I was listening, I was watching it, I noticed that the music was like, at first I thought it was the same music from Twin Peaks, (laughs) because it sounded so similar that like, I always, I know it's, I don't know if this is like sacrilegious to say, but it was like very like Scooby-Doo-ish to me. Like it was like, you know, like that like that bass and it was just really like... Oh, I never thought about that, but I could see that. Kind of, just like a little bit, but it seems... I thought it was the same as Twin Peaks, but it wasn't. Like obviously it was a little different. Right, and this is the first time they worked together, Angelo Badalamenti and David Lynch, and they would go on to do several projects together, especially Twin Peaks. Yeah. And this is uh, David Lynch's fourth full-length movie. He had done Eraserhead, The Elephant Man, and Dune prior to this. Okay. And then he did Wild at Heart and then Twin Peaks. So, And then there's a lot more after that. But just to put it into some context, okay. the score for this movie, was, or the soundtrack, was ranked number 100 on Entertainment Weekly's Greatest Film sa- Soundtrack list. Wow. So that's... I mean, it's... I couldn't find on Apple Music like or a on CD a copy of the soundtrack but I could find it on record so I huh. got a record of it <laughs> oh wow yeah maybe they just were like we're not gonna release a CD I don't know there's so much of David Lynch that's hard to get a hold mm-hmm. of because I, I don't know yeah. I'm not exactly sure why but the cinematographer was Fed- Frederick Elms and he also did Wild at Heart with David Lynch and this was the first time he worked with Joanna Ray, who was his casting director. And oh. uh, she had only done one previous movie, Firestarter. And I believe she was maybe like, maybe she had done one more, but she was just starting her career. And she said she really fell in love with David Lynch when he told her that he was looking for an actress 
to play Dorothy, but that he didn't want her to have a perfect body. And although he ended up with Isabella (laughs) Rossellini. I was about to say, she is like... But that's not necessarily what he was looking for. Right, You know, he's just looking for the right person. And since then, they're now personal friends, it seems to me, and they love each other. The producer... Dino De Laurentiis, he really believed in the movie and he had to set up his very own production company just to get the movie into theaters because no one else would put it out. That's, why wouldn't they put it out, do you know? Well, at the time, a lot of people were calling it pornographic and they were really just, I mean, I think I get into that a little bit later, but there was just a lot of controversy over the content, you know, people- I mean, this is before it was even released, but nobody wanted to touch it. <laughs> I don't know, maybe Eraserhead and Dune scared people off or something, but Molly Ringwald was first offered the role of Sandy. Wow. Yeah, wouldn't that have been interesting? What if she had gone on to be David Lynch's muse throughout his career? That would have been insane. I wonder if she ever <laughs> thinks back on it. that and is like, ah, that was a big mistake. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, 16 Candles, Pretty in Pink is like, I mean, they're classics. Oh, yeah, of course. Classics. She does, but I mean, but yeah, who knows? Who I mean, knows? Laura Dern. I thought Laura Dern was perfect. Yeah, I mean, she was amazing. Maybe it was Kismet because I don't think could have gotten a better than Laura Dern. No, which I have a question. Her name was Sandy, and I was like, <laughs> and this is like how stupid my mind works. I was like, okay, Greece, because <laughs> she looks like she's mm-hmm. blonde. She's tall, thin, beautiful. I was like, okay, so is this like some? <laughs> yes. My mind's like some underlying Greece parallel. <laughs> I find her name Sandy to be strange too I I found the whole time I was making notes that I kept forgetting her name well yeah I didn't, having to remind myself it's Sandy Sandy is her name yeah I had to I, I didn't like know that was her name until like about a quarter of the way into the movie and she had been there and I, I was like I just kept like not really hearing it right I was like is it Sandy like really yeah I guess so but there you go Val Kilmer turned down the role of Jeffrey thinking the script was pornography again. Isabella Rossellini's role was written for Debbie Harry, apparently. Oh, wow. But she said she was tired of playing weirdos. I don't Uh, think she's a weirdo, per se. She's she's an abused woman, for sure. She's a tragic victim (laughs) of abuse. Um, He also was considering Helen Mirren. And actually, he he met... Isabella Rossellini just at a random event, I guess, a dinner or something. Uh And she was working with Helen Mirren in a movie. So he was talking to her about, oh, can you talk to Helen Mirren and see if she... Wow. And after that, he realized, oh, maybe I should have her read for it. And that's how she got the part. (laughs) Yes, I love it. And this was only her second American movie. She had previously been a model. Several actors turned down the role of Frank... (laughs) Including William Defoe. Oh, okay. I could see him. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Yeah. But Dennis Hopper said he read the part and, you know, he had had a lot of drug problems. Uh-huh. And he had, was coming back out of it. He, You know, he was clean. And he read the part and said, oh, I've got to play Frank because I am Frank. <laughs> you know, he yeah. really understood the character. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was... I mean, as. <laughs> Awful, awful <laughs> as Frank was. I was like, that's like... But he still brings so many levels to it. Yeah. And so much nuance. He, he did a great job. Yeah. Um, Harry Dean Stanton, who also went on to work with David Lynch in several movies, he also turned on the role of Frank because he thought it was too violent. But he went on to be in several pieces, <laughs> which are also violent. But the character he plays in those aren't necessarily as bad as Frank was. Right. Chris Isaac was up for Jeffrey, which is interesting because in Fire Walk With Me, he kind of plays a Kyle MacLachlan stand-in. Uh-huh. So I just huh. thought that was kind of interesting bit of synchronicity. Um, and and some of the lost footage, the cutscenes that are in the Criterion Collection box set, you can see that Megan Mullally played what? Jeffrey's girlfriend. Whoa. Yeah, she got cut out of the movie. But when I watched That's it, so I was crazy. like, I had to go back and go, now who was playing that? Because I did not recognize her Megan at Mulally. all. Megan I would love to see. I haven't, I haven't seen the Criterion deleted scenes. Oh, I'll have or... to show you just the would, scenes she's yeah, in. Yeah, I would love done. to see that. Yeah. Wow. Was this the first uh, movie that, or piece of David Lynch stuff that Kyle MacLachlan worked with him on? Or is there other stuff? Um, He had done Dune. Dune, previously. okay. Yeah. I think that as... He was doing Dune. David Lynch was working on this, and that's how he got him. Gotcha. It was shot in Wilmington, North Carolina, 
And the whole town was very excited until they all showed up to watch Isabella Rossellini's nude scene. And <laughs> they were like, we can't have this film here anymore. But, you know, they figured it out. But yeah, they all came <laughs> with That's a jarring books. scene yeah. <laughs> to be like, oh, my God. I was reading or listening to some of the interviews and they were saying that the whole town kind of showed up with picnic baskets like, oh, we're going to watch this filming. And then by the time the scene was over, there was no one left. And I can imagine. they were all a little scandalized but actually in north carolina there is another town called lumberton oh really and so it just i don't know if that was the plan all along but huh. i love lumberton being a theme <laughs> i yeah like i just I, like with the opening scene of like the fire truck with the dalmatian and i was like okay like it just solidifies that like all-american town yeah yeah <laughs> there's a funny story about that dennis hopper was telling where he <sighs> he said that david lynch could write the word fuck, but he couldn't say it. So he would show him the script and be like, and you're going to say this, 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 and then that word. And <laughs> Oh, God. So I wonder why. Oh, you know, he's just so... David Lynch is... He's kind of a throwback, you know? He says, like, mm-hmm. Peachy Keen and G. Willikers. And oh, okay. I understand. But he's not afraid to write down, like, the darkest stuff. It's right. Just, he doesn't want to say it. <laughs> and total... From what I read, I don't know if I didn't count it myself, but the word fuck is used 56 times, all but once by Frank. And supposedly he says it in almost every sentence, but going back and watching it, I don't believe that's actually true. Yeah, I wouldn't say not every sentence, but extremely often. Yeah, yeah. Lynch said that the nude scene where Dorothy is walking nude on the street was actually inspired, and it's kind of what inspired the movie, by a childhood incident in which he and his brother saw a woman dazed and naked walking down the street and instead of being you know at all titillated or whatever you would think a young boy seeing a naked woman would be they started crying because they knew something was really wrong that's traumatic yeah it obviously stayed with him because he i mean not only in this but in other things that same image comes back it was also inspired by the song blue velvet by bobby finn yeah i the minute i heard it i was like okay (laughs) and the other inspiration was of a severed ear which because and he was saying he really wanted he was thinking a mouth or a nose or something at first because he just wanted something that was like that went from an external to an internal like a Uh portal into another world so that's why he ended up with the ear and i i don't know we can cut this if you want but I thought I'd ask if you had any sort of traumatic childhood experiences that, you know, have stuck with you that kind of inform. I mean, maybe so, like, I mean, you know, I grew up in late 90s, early 2000s. I mean, I feel like it's not nothing, like, crazy, but, like, just the normal, like, you know, parents from that time, like, raising their kids, you know. Right. You just learn to, you know, (laughs) it depends on who your parents are. And I just feel like I'm maybe, I'm more so of, like, a wallflower. I'm very observant of a person because of I don't know maybe so I don't really remember but maybe some events like you know that happened when I was a kid yeah but just stuff like that where I'm not like you know very outgoing and stuff (laughs) like that I'm just and you know it's not traumatic traumatic but you know what I mean yeah well I don't think I had anything nearly as nothing like that like a (laughs) a naked woman walking down the street but I did fall out of a window when I was four oh my gosh (laughs) I cracked my skull (laughs) I guess that was traumatic Oh yeah, for well, my parents. <laughs> yeah, I did. I did remind. I also cracked my head open. I was in first grade. I was seven years old, and I was walking down the aisle of my classroom. I had just sharpened a color pencil and slipped on a backpack, and it went face first onto the color pencil, and then the desk. Oh no! And yeah, I had to get some stitches, obviously. Uh huh. Yeah, that but, was probably the yeah. most traumatic. Kids have tough heads. Thing. Thank God. Yeah, Jesus, <laughs> I barely remember it <laughs> yeah i mean i know i remember going to the hospital but yeah that was <laughs> having to lay in bed for a week okay and the, the other interesting one more interesting tidbit the ear that they used may have been the first use of silicone for an f for a special effects wow. piece yeah there's some really interesting behind the scenes interviews with like the crew who are from north carolina because uh-huh. they hired a lot of local people and they were telling the the story about making the ear and how they think that might have been the first time they ever used silicone any sort of prosthetic originally it was four hours long the the movie yes <laughs> oh jesus yeah he him and dale rentis the producer came up with a compromised 
plan for a release in which David Lynch would get final cut, but it had to be two hours. And he also had to do it on the cheap to get it made. But yeah, so uh, there's like an hour of lost footage on the Criterion Collection, but there's still um, a whole another hour's worth. There's another name that is like the proverbial name for this four hour long cut. I can't remember it, but it is in my notes. So I'll I'll try to remember to say it when we get to it later. As for awards that it won or were nominated for, it won the Sites Film Festival Best Film. It won Best Film for the National Society of Film Critics Awards, as well as Best Director and Best Supporting Actor for Dennis Hopper. Oh, and Best Cinematography. It won Best Actor for Dennis Hopper in the Montreal World Film Festival, the Los Angeles Film Critics Association Awards got Best Director, Best Supporting Actor for Hopper. Isabella Rossellini won an Independent Spirit Award. And also Lynch was, and there were a lot of nominations as well from that, including Laura Dern and Lynch and Cinematography and Hopper. It got nominated for Golden Globe for Best Screenplay and Best Supporting Actor. It won the Boston Society of Film Critics Best Film. And interestingly, Lynch tied with Oliver Stone for Best Director. Huh. For Platoon. Wow. Uh, you, you rarely hear about ties in an award show, but I like no. I like a tie. And uh, Best Cinematography, Best Supporting Actor, and then Academy Awards. Lynch was nominated for Best Director. And it was the only movie that year to be nominated for a director, but not film. Yeah. So mm. I guess there was still a little bit of blowback going on. Which but it has crazy. a 95% on Rotten Tomatoes. Wow. I mean, it's I mean, it's, it's a classic. It's good. It, um... But at the time when it first came out, there was a film critic who walked out of the film and gave it a poor review named Mark Kermode. But he revisited his view of the film over time. And in 2016, he remarked that as a film critic, it taught me that when a film really gets under your skin and really provokes a visceral reaction, you have to be careful about assessing it. I didn't walk out on Blue Velvet because it was a bad film. I walked out on it because it was a really good film and the point was at the time I wasn't good enough for it. Wow. Which is, I mean, it's so rare to hear people have that kind of self-reflection about, you know, yeah. how they react. But it's so true with David Lynch works, you know, you might have a certain reaction the first time, but then you go back and you look at it a completely different way. And like you said, it like unravels itself the more you watch it. So I'm sure he's seen him mm-hmm. more than once since then and is like, okay. It's kind of crazy to me, though, that this is 86. I don't feel like it's that long ago. And people are reacting so violently to it or viscerally. Weren't there fatal attraction? Was that the 90s? Or is it the 80s? Or like, I feel like... I think maybe it was after this, but... I feel like the 80s, it's not like... I mean, we had already been through the 70s. Come on. There's (laughs) some crazy stuff that came out in the 70s. That's what I'm like, that everyone was like, so this is pornographic. This is terrible. I was like, the 80s don't seem like they were that conservative. Maybe it's just like a Reagan, you know, everybody is... Yeah. (laughs) There you go. I was still a child, so it's hard to say. I wasn't born yet. (laughs) So, you know. It made me feel old. The premiere, though, did have lines around the blocks. Because oh, you know it, just the buzz about it. Right. You know I mean, this potentially pornographic movie. It. Everybody wants to see it, of course. There were reports of mass walkouts and refunds, but there were definitely instances where, like, a man fainted at a screening because of his pacemaker and had to go to the hospital. But he later came back because he wanted to see the end. Wow. And there, like, two strangers got into a fight during one of the screenings. But they decided to drop it because they both wanted, wanted to, see. to see the rest of the movie. <laughs> I mean, that's a testament and to so, how good it is. Yeah, definitely. And so, I mean, it went from a small controversial film to cult film status. And now it's considered a classic and is on many of the best of lists, including AFI, Entertainment Weekly, The Guardian, and Film 4. Wow. Yeah. That's so, like, it's so funny to, like, see these cult, like, cult movies like Blue Velvet, like I, the one I think of when you said that was Heather's. Like, wasn't that also 80s? Maybe like later 80s, uh-huh. but like super violent, oh, yeah. super awful. And I mean, it's a cult classic, but it got a lot of flack at the time too. Yeah, I'm sure. I just rewatched that movie and it is so good. It's like I, a perfect that, satirical dark yes, comedy. I, I love that movie. love that movie so much. <laughs> I could watch it over and over. On to Blue Velvet. 
we open with Blue Velvet Curtains, which reminded me of Emma. Yeah, that's what I was say. Emma, it's, Emma. It's funny that our first two episodes kind of had almost the same like opening first sequence. second. Yeah, and it like had that like opening sequence like where they give like all the credits right in the beginning. Yeah, it's like and you just get to hear the theme music. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of almost Alfred Hitchcock or you know from something. Back in the day, yeah, I was gonna say I, a throwback. I almost. think of like old Disney movies, like uh, oh, Sleeping yeah. Beauty. Yeah, yeah. How the beginning credits are like ten minutes long. <laughs> I'm like Jesus, <laughs> come on. just the music underneath. Yeah, I was like, let's get to the movie. Come on. <laughs> and then we go from blue velvet curtains to blue sky, and we see a white picket fence and some red roses. We're getting some real common David Lynch motifs right off the bat. Mm-hmm. We're in um, an idyllic small town, America. Lumberton. Lumberton, USA. We got some firemen driving by and waving, you know, all <laughs> yeah. friendly like. <laughs> I say it's perfect middle America, like classic. Yes. Old school. We set stuff. it up and we go into a very unsuccessful attempt to water a lawn. Yeah, I would say it's probably the most unsuccessful watering of a lawn. It is. <laughs> So he something happened, some bad. Yeah, <laughs> that's well, all I could think of. I was like, "What's happening?" I know, but the first when I rewatched it the first time, I was wondering, "What is happening right now? Is he having a stroke? Is he that's, having a heart attack?" Yeah, that's what I wrote my wrote my notes. I was like, "Did he have a stroke?" Like it was never explained. It, like, explicitly. It's not. Although in this in the lost footage, it does. I it think, does say that it was probably a stroke or something. Okay, I assumed from the reaction. Yeah, although when he's in that like contraption oh for his head but we'll get into that but yeah i noticed that on the second viewing right before he has the thing in his neck you can see like the pressure and the hose starts to build up and it's like starts to yeah. shake and i thought oh that's kind of Very, mirroring yeah. the i did i was like I, when we kept seeing that i was like okay one to two things are gonna happen <laughs> i thought it was gonna just be pshoo, i thought it was gonna spell. shoot off and like hit him and oh, hurt him yeah. somehow or kill him you know something yeah you know, <laughs> it would have been kind of 80s ish but when after he falls and like we go into the grass yeah. and we see the ants, I was like, please do not tell me that these ants are gonna like start crawling all over him and start oh, eating him. Yeah, that would be... was... No, but instead it's just setting up a major theme for the whole movie, which is what is underneath the surface. And bugs are obviously in this movie a representation of that because right. you know, you get down and it's like and you see it's just Creeper like ugh, craziness going on on its surface although i personally don't think of bugs as being the uh symbol of bad things <laughs> <laughs> well it depends on which bug yeah that's true but it's definitely um a thing in this and my something that i really think we should use maybe as a transition for our own podcast um, uh-huh we get the radio of Lumberton and their theme song, which is like, oh. logs, logs, logs. Yes, yes. I, I could, oh my God, I thought that was the funniest thing. Yes, I loved I loved it. And that the, the sound of a falling tree <laughs> is what marks the hour in this town. I, oh my God, that was so funny. I love it. Yeah. So maybe we can figure out how to do something like that. For a transition. <laughs> Isolate the sound. That yeah. could be our intro. Yeah, or at long, least like, long. we're moving into a new thing. <laughs> that also feels very, like it has, you can see the DNA of Twin Peaks in it very clearly. Oh, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And Jeffrey has to walk to the hospital, and he's walking through this brambly kind of area. And he comes across this shed, and he throws some rocks. And he goes on to the hospital where he visits with his dad, who can't speak. And we we realize that his dad is the man of lawn watering infamy. Right. They both are sad, but neither of them can really speak to each other. And so he's back back home, and he comes to the same place. He's like, "Oh, this is my rock throwing place." <laughs> so he starts throwing some more I'm rocks. Say, Let me look for some rocks. And on his search for another perfect rock, he finds dun dun dun. I'm gonna say all that. <laughs> a severed ear Ugh. which is covered with ants which is another bug and mold <laughs> it's yeah like, it was like some weird blue yeah mold and we it looks later like it's also very hairy which <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> i was like Ugh, that is gross yeah <laughs> i wrote some of my notes because he didn't there was like no interaction like no like visceral like oh my god like he was just kind of like oh 
there's an ear. <laughs> I heard one of my notes. I was like, so his first instinct was like, let me go ahead and just make a little doggy bag of this ear. Yeah, at first he's like, hmm, what can I use to pick this up? Because I'm not using my hands. Oh, yeah. perfect little paper bag. <laughs> oh, then he does in. pick it up with hands and puts it in the Ugh. bag. And yeah, so he's got an ear in a bag and he's off to the police. And we see the police station, which also has a log. On, as it's, <laughs> it just says police with a log underneath it. Log police. Oh, I wonder if the log lady is from this town. <gasps> My oh. God. <laughs> oh, no. They're all connected. Yeah, it's all connected. Yeah, when Jane Austen and David Lynch start connecting, that's when our brains will really explode. But <laughs> I'm not ready. Yeah. Um, so we go, we meet Detective Williams for the first time, and he is so weird in this scene. He's yes. very nonchalant, and it kind of makes him seem creepy or maybe he's creepy and nonchalant he kind of he, i don't know watching it again i thought oh this is a funny scene he's this is supposed to be really weird and funny yeah, in a weird way i think way. it's like kind of like to make you uncomfortable <laughs> yeah like he cause... steps up to jeffrey at this one point where i'm like what's going on with yeah. this body language but he's just so like oh you found an ear yeah interesting <laughs> let's take like this to the corner really shall happy and like it's almost like as if like a little kid found like <laughs> almost like an arrowhead yeah. or something like crazy like like oh let's find out what it is yes our budding detective let's God. encourage him so they go to the corner which i mean how do you really bring the person to the corner with <laughs> the first the the citizen who but, found the yes. severed ear Ugh. but maybe he's just trying to encourage him I don't know. I mean, because he seems to kind of know who he is. So, yeah. I guess the, what is Jeffrey's last name? Beaumont? Oh, yeah. The Beaumonts are a pretty well known family because they own the hardware, the hardware store. store. Yeah. How old is Jeffrey supposed to be? I'm guessing maybe like 21, okay. 20, maybe. Yeah. I mean, he can obviously drink. I don't know. I think that the drinking age is 21 by then. Yeah. So, he's, yeah. He, he couldn't have been in college very long because no. Laura Dern. She's the senior, but she remembers him from high school, so... Yeah, that's what I was like, and I don't know. It also could be that, like, small town thing where, you know, he could be 19 or 20, and they could be like, here's a here's a beer. Yeah, <laughs> because, cares? I mean, I, I know my parents were younger. The drinking age was 18, so I'm yeah. not exactly sure when it changed, but I think it changed before this. So they're, they're at the corners, and we find out that the ear was most likely cut off with scissors. Oh, which, my God. Ooh, <laughs> I think I, we might even see those scissors later on. Yeah, this, that, oh my god. I literally wrote my notes in all caps, scissors, question <laughs> mark, exclamation point. I was like, oh my god, it's the worst. I like yeah. grabbed on my ears. I was like, absolutely not. Yeah. Oh You're starting god. to feel uncomfortable right from the beginning. It's like scissors. And then we get to meet Francis Bay, his aunt, recurring cast, yeah. we already talked about. And I was wondering at this point, because I feel like Jeffrey is really, throughout this movie, is kind of having an existential crisis in uh -huh. his own way because, you know, he had to come back from school. His dad is in the hospital. He's clearly kind of floundering, but he's spending all of his time investigating this weird mystery. So I'm wondering how much of this is just a way to deflect his uh, thoughts from, you know, the other uh, stuff that's going. To remove going. himself from he, his own life. Yeah. He's going back to visit the detective at his home at night, which... <laughs> I feel like the subtext yeah. of Detective Dad is no need to visit me at my home at night, you know? Yeah, <laughs> I was about to say, like, I'm off the clock. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, he does meet with him up in his home office. He's got his feet up on the desk. Yeah, which seems super nonchalant, like, cool. Yeah, but he says, you know, I'll take it from here. You don't need to be involved in this. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, correct. yeah, seems dangerous. <laughs> so he's leaving the house and... Then we have Sandy, Laura Dern appearing like a vision through the through the trees. Through the it's so it's such a nice like intro to her. I yeah, <laughs> I really like that. I was like, this is so cool. It's so dramatic. And... I know. I was like, Ugh. and then like it's just she just appears like a little Pollyanna right out of the yeah. trees. <laughs> and it's just like okay, she, I mean she's extremely beautiful and just like having that like moonlight and emerging from the darkness. And yeah. I was like, Jesus. <laughs> yeah, and her first line, "Are you the one that found the year?" <laughs> I was like, oh, so scary. And she talks about how she has, her room is above her dad's office, so she hears things, and she's heard that there's a woman singer who's under surveillance, and she knows where she lives, and so Jeffrey convinces her as such a romantic first date to go show me this building oh, God. Where, the, where we're getting 
where we think this woman lives and she gets catcalled on the way there which is just an interesting little oh, yeah um nugget to throw in which is just like you know oh. just being a woman on the street you just <laughs> can't escape say. it seriously I <laughs> even wanna... with a man right next to you <laughs> yeah I, yeah what the heck i want to go back when he's walking to their house before there's this guy on the street walking his dog and he has sunglasses on and i was like i couldn't tell at first i was like is he blind i looked for like the little like the um, walking stick and i couldn't see one i was like there's i don't think it's a guide dog no so i think and i don't know okay this is david lynch obviously works in surrealism to a certain extent he's an artist first before he was a, a filmmaker and there's so many of those random just background characters that show up and are just weird they're just weird they shouldn't be there and i don't know if maybe it's like a brechtian thing brecht was a playwright back i don't even maybe late early 1900s i'm not exactly sure when brecht was but it was you know back in the ism days and his whole aesthetic was he did he wrote stuff about you know violent mean people but he didn't want you to get so sucked in that you forgot that you were watching a play right so he would do things like have weird musical numbers that's where the song mac the knife comes from just to like break you out of it so you realize oh i'm or then they would have like the stage lights visible to the audience just so that you never forgot and i wonder if that's kind of what david lynch is trying to do at certain points but i don't know it could just be a surrealism thing you know yeah Felt, I don't know. I, I was like trying to find the significance of it. And I think probably like the more I watch the movie and the more it unravels itself, the more I'll understand. Because when they come back, I mean, I don't expect him to be still be out there. Who knows how long he was in the house right. for, but he's gone. Yeah. And I feel like the way it was filmed, it almost gave like an impression of, for us to notice that he was not there anymore. Yes. And it's, I mean, the whole film kind of has like a dreamy magical slash fake quality to it so yeah yeah well we will definitely probably talk about that a little more for sure on the way back from the (laughs) apartment building they're just you know they're chatting they're laughing they're talking about the kid with the longest tongue in the world and kyle blackland is doing chicken walks (laughs) it's very cute just like uh, you know they're just they're just teenagers you know yeah just like little (laughs) young adults just trying to have fun but also really interested in what is the the darker sides and then we see jeffrey working at the hardware store (laughs) when we meet double ed Mm -hmm. which i don't know if that's they're both named ed so he calls them double ed as a collective or if it's just the blind guy who's called double ed but you know he knows how many fingers jeffrey's (laughs) he knows where everything is yeah, I was like, I, f- I feel like because it seems like they're always together, maybe they're both named Ed and it's double Ed. I bet it is. Um, They're a team. But I did think, I was like, I wonder if it's like a weird thing where he's like, <laughs> and I would hate to say this, but he's pretending to be blind kind of. <laughs> well, I mean, I wouldn't say that David Lynch is not wanting you to question that at some point. But I guess I kind of take it for face value. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> not in like, the, like a malicious way because he doesn't seem to be like any sort of like awful kind of person right but maybe he's kind of magical too you know yeah there's a lot of magical people in this oh yeah yeah but they really seem to like jeffrey yeah obviously they've they know him from when he was a kid they must have worked there for a long time his uncle is almost like you know like fake uncles yeah you know what i mean yeah they're kind of like uncles so then jeffrey goes to pick up sandy or to go talk to sandy at school for a little diner date (laughs) and she's all this cute boy is picking me up in his fancy car. His convertible, red convertible. Yeah, I mean, uh, she must feel real cool. But she tells her friends, you know, keep this on the DL. Don't tell Mike, <laughs> her boyfriend. <laughs> it's like, I couldn't help but laugh like when her and her friends were like, oh my God. Like, he's, <laughs> he's so cute. He's so cute. Look at the car. Yeah, I mean, the car is definitely a good selling point. <laughs> I was about to say, I mean, red convertible, you don't get anywhere like, quote unquote, classic, like hot guy than that. <laughs> The whole time, there's so many cars in this movie that I thought, oh, my dad, if I watch this with my dad, because he, every time we watch a movie together, all he does is point out cars all the time. <laughs> this might be a great movie for him. Yeah, I'm sure. He would be like, oh, that's a that. He wouldn't care what else was going on. He just wants to look at the cars. So they go to Arlene's diner, and I'll have to see it later if Arlene 
is from uh, Firewalk With Me. If there, I think there's an Arlene's oh. Diner in Firewalk With Me. There is a boyfriend named Mike in Twin Peaks who is very similar to this character, wow. I believe. So she, Sandy goes with him, and they start to plan their little spy mission. <laughs> Sandy at first is says no she doesn't want to be a part of it it's too dangerous right, which is the rational response but she pretty much does want to because it doesn't take any talking no no convincing. talking her into it she's just so many times throughout this movie she'll say i don't think so and one line later she's like okay you, uh, I, I do you got me <laughs> and she says that no or he says no don't worry no one's gonna suspect us of all people <laughs> i'm thinking why well, because you're just like the two most milk toast kids <laughs> in town like, just plain vanilla <laughs> yeah but not really there's some chocolate chips in there <laughs> there's something so we go to the deep river apartments on lincoln avenue Dorothy Valance is on the seventh floor, and it's time to execute the plan. And the plan is for Jeffrey to pretend to be an exterminator. Another bug reference. Very symbolic. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because he's exterminating the bugs. Did not catch that. Yeah. And her apartment is very mauve. 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 Mm-hmm. How do you say that word? Mauve. 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 I, I think you could say it either way. And we see Isabella Rossellini for the first time. Gorgeous. And he's spraying the apartment, and then we get the second knock at the door, who we're expecting it to be Laura Dern, because she's supposed to pretend to be a Jehovah's Witness and show up. But instead, it's a guy in a yellow coat. I got so scared. (laughs) I think it's the bad detective from later who shows up. Um, The yellow man or something. Yeah. So he kind of fills in as the distraction, although he's not the correct distraction. No. But he still manages to steal the key. He was going to unlock the window, but he just steals the key, yeah. which is a very strange place to keep your house keys. Underneath the counter. Under the counter, hanging. Yeah. I, it was just like a regular, but it was like two little keys. Like, that's yeah. it. It's like not like a set of house keys or no. anything. I, I have a feeling she's a woman of not many possessions. No. Well, I guess so. I mean, who knows? That's really where, like, she lives. I mean, she wears about three costumes in yeah. the course of the movie so he steals the key he sneaks back out successfully he's talking to sandy and they're like okay the plan is on i'm gonna sneak back in and she says yeah i still love my boyfriend mike but i really want to be bad with you so i'm gonna cancel my date and let's do this thing (laughs) (laughs) again no convincing no no pleading she's just like okay She's she's Nancy Drew deep down. She wants to explore this mystery as much as him, but she just doesn't. She's not currently going through her own existential crisis to, you know, right. drive her no forward. Familial issues. So they go to the bar, which is called the Slow Club. I like that. Yeah, I liked the signage. I was like, ooh, it's so like yeah. it's so smooth the and Slow Club. <laughs> just, I liked it a lot. And they they drink Heineken, which is kind of a runner throughout it that he likes Heineken. He was like, I love Heineken. And everybody is so, you know, her dad drinks Bud and then Frank wants Paps. Paps Blue Ribbon. PBR, yeah. Because, and he's just so fancy with his Heineken, which is really funny to think Heineken is the fancy <laughs> yeah. beer. I was like, okay. The most, <laughs> one of the basics. Yeah, nowadays Heineken is a basic beer. <laughs> yeah. So they go and they watch the Blue Lady sing that's how she's introduced the blue lady dorothy Mm -hmm. valens so we get to see dorothy's interpretation of blue velvet there's a good story about angelo badalamenti and her because she's not a singer and she was very nervous and not wanting to do it but he um just worked with her it seemed very kindly he worked with her very kindly, it seems. <laughs> and, you know, one day when she was kind of sick and not wanting to, they did a, like a recording session. It took about three hours in. I think it comes across very well. I mean, she's not yeah. the best singer, but I think that really works for the character. Yeah, because, I mean, it's like... Because she's uh, working at a low-rent club in, in middle of Lumberton, USA. <laughs> yeah, I didn't expect her to be like, okay, this is going to be like a Whitney Houston. Yeah. <laughs> I expect it to be like just like, you know, a little like local jazz yeah kind of singer and if you look around in the background behind everyone it is an eclectic assortment of people from this town you have oh yeah old people who look like they belong at bingo you have young punk kids you got all sorts of types in the background and i just think it's so funny that the whole town all the different people in the town really just like to come listen to Dorothy Valens yes. sing Blue it's Velvet like, time and time again because yeah, she plays one song. <laughs> yeah. 
halfway through the song, I noticed that the band disappeared. And I don't know if it cut to a different yeah. song. I, I think it was a different song. Yeah, it might have been it a different like song. It sounded like maybe they kind of just cut into a different song. But to me, it just of kind it. of sounded like the same song. They just cut to a different part in the song. But the band yeah. just disappears. And it's our first real moment of disappearance, which we do have another coming up. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. I was. I kind of interpreted the disappearance as, like, Jeffrey, how he's viewing it. Like, he's, ah. like, the background is just, like slowly moving away and just that's a good Dorothy I like that that's all he sees yeah maybe that, that yeah and I really love her silhouette at the end with her like chin oh up yes and her looking over her shoulder okay but so they're ready to they say okay she's singing we know it's safe we're gonna go do our break in yes <laughs> <laughs> big time and they have a little conversation in the car beforehand in which Sandy goes I don't know if you're a detective or a pervert. And he goes, well, that's for me to know and you to find out. <laughs> I was like, maybe you just say detective. I think you could probably be like, uh, pervert? Because you're definitely not a detective. <laughs> yeah. I was like, he should say detective because I don't think he wants this girl that he likes to think he's a pervert. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, he's a little both. He's a little weirdo. Yeah. Um, yeah, Jeffrey. Uh, yeah. Well, we're, yeah, we're getting it. Okay. Yeah. Well, she decides to just stay so she can warn him by honking the horn. So he's up in the apartment. It's on the seventh floor. I'm not sure if numerolo- numerolo- <laughs> numerologically <laughs> speaking, uh-huh. if that would be um, important. I would think, I Four. think David Lynch, seven is kind of a number that... He references. It's kind of, I think it's a transitional, like uh-huh. can be like a bad number. I'm, I'm not really that familiar with numerology. Yeah, I don't know. I think maybe we should kind of keep track. I mean, four, maybe. I mean, there's always, like, sets of four. Like, there's Jeffrey and Sandy and Dorothy and Frank. Yeah. And I feel like there's lots of, like, references to four. Maybe it's something that pops up in his movies that we that maybe you never noticed before. Yeah. Well, there's definitely a lot of use of numbers in his work. So right. I, I tend to believe it has at least some meaning in his head as to why. But I was thinking maybe seventh because it's her apartment she's so precariously balanced and i think seven is kind of like a oh you know are we gonna get to eight yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i don't know and so he's looking around her apartment he sees the very sad nursery uh, we don't really yeah, know yeah i was but like it just looks, yeah it looked like a horror movie yeah. <laughs> i was like oh my god and um he has a very poorly timed pee so <sighs> he misses the warning and as soon as he's about to leave which she must have not done that many more songs because he hasn't been there for very long when no. she shows up. No, 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 no. It's not a very big apartment to look through. <laughs> yeah, but I was wondering, I was like, did I'm assuming Frank dropped her off. It um, could have been that detective guy too, or one yeah. of the, his many goons. Because I assume since in like later in the movie, we see when he's driving them all around and is going like 100, 110 miles mm-hmm. an hour, I was like, maybe he's a reckless, crazy driver and drove her home that fast and... Oh, yeah. so fast, that's a good point it also could just be that it's a very she small sings town. three songs yeah. and it's like bye I'm I done. think that's probably the most likely honestly yeah <laughs> so as soon as she shows up he runs into the closet and I get very Halloween vibes from that <laughs> I, okay I did too I got the Halloween vibes from that scene and from the when he's when they're walking in the neighborhood because like yeah. the opening of Halloween when um Jamie Lee Curtis is on the neighborhood which is so scary to me <laughs> i was like there's so many so many yeah. parallels I, I wonder when did halloween come out i don't know let me just look real quick open no i want to say it was the 80s wasn't it i think so 78 oh so it had already been out yeah well maybe he was using that as an influence or at least subconsciously because when he was in there especially when she gets the knife i was expecting him to be like a jamie lee curtis you know because that scene from halloween yeah. just was very memorable to uh, yeah me. i expected her to be like <laughs> <laughs> waving wildly. i was like he's done so he's hiding in the closet she you know takes off her dress and i saw an interview with her where she was saying she was really trying to not come across as sexy she wanted her body to look like you know like meat on a rack yeah know? like beaten up and yeah. just like tired yeah and i think yeah even though she's gorgeous you don't feel like oh she's so sexy ever yeah you i just like, feel like oh this poor poor woman yeah i like obviously like whenever i see her i think she's like one of the most beautiful women on the planet yeah. she's gorgeous <laughs> especially like when i think of like her role in death becomes her oh. i was like oh my god <laughs> yeah who is this woman but yeah i feel like when she i've got no feelings of her of like the director being like well take it off but like try to be like 
you know, like you're seducing him behind the scenes right. or something. I didn't get that at no. all. I felt like I felt her pain. Yeah. Especially like after she has the phone call and all that other stuff. But it's yeah. just like you could see it written all over her. Yeah. Uh, uh, yes. Even from the first moment she like takes off her dress, you're just she's just like hunched over. Mm-hmm. And yeah, there's nothing sexy about it. And then she gets a phone call. And it's fairly easy to read between the lines that her child has been kidnapped. Yep. And she is giving a lot of sirs to this person on the phone. Watching it the second time, I thought this was even more sad. Because the first time, you don't really know what's going on yet. And you get through that whole first scene with the confrontation. And you're like, "Ah, is she good? Is she bad? I don't know. But the second time through, it's just just sad. Yeah. Especially after you find out what kind of person Frank is. So, But she hears Jeffrey in the closet. So she grabs a knife, a big... Big a knife. Big butcher's knife. <laughs> and in her blue velvet robe with a knife, she is intense. I yeah. mean, <laughs> she forces him out of the closet. She's like, why are you spying on me? And she has every right to feel violated yeah. by him sneaking into her apartment and yeah. staring at her while she's changing. I was like really happy at that specific moment when she is like not immediately like scared of him. She's just like very aggressive and is like, I'm in charge. Like, yeah. You know, I'm the one who has all the power here. Yeah. Now you take off your clothes. Because exactly. And you I was just like, well, saw me equal, and... equal, equal yeah. trade. That's what I thought. Yeah, I did. I said, turn around this fair play. Now you get naked. Exactly. I was like, well, he, she's like, do you like this? And he's like, yeah. But I mean, she is kind of sexually assaulting him. Um, well, yeah, that's. When... I mean, she, he deserves it. But I'm just saying, he's like, say, yeah, this is cool. But you could tell that he's freaking out yeah yeah i would yeah i don't know like that at that part that's when it started going a little like obviously like too far because it's not like he like harmed her in that way he just violated her like privacy so like seeing her take it to that level almost immediately it made me feel really like sad for her like yeah that she is like has the dominance but is also like subservient you know almost immediately to the man in the room and i was like what is like well, and the first time through, you're thinking, who's the abuser in this situation? Because yeah. she's you don't know what's happened to her yet, but she, even though Jeffrey obviously is in the wrong, she is very aggressively like going after him. Yeah. And so, but the second time through, you're thinking, I mean, you know more about what her mental state is. And oh, uh, yeah, obviously, looking after watching the movie, like looking back, I'm like, like wow yeah (laughs) she she has some severe mental trauma yeah and she's saying don't move don't look at me don't touch me or i'll kill you and that's when frank shows up and we get a very mirrored scene almost oh yeah i mean it's almost like frank is doing the dialogue that isabella rossellini just did in the previous scene but this is a very (laughs) disturbing scene it's very that mask that he Awful. breathes into the whole time, originally it was supposed to be helium that he was breathing. So he would have like a really high squeaky voice. Oh. And he he told David Lynch that, you know, he thought it's gonna be he thought it was more like nitrous and so it would make him disoriented and he thought it would just be silly for him to have the high squeaky voice, but going back much later thinking about it, he thought, No, I bet it would be really Interesting and at like yeah. almost a humorous but scarier level to him yeah. to be talking whenever he does that. Like, meh, 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 meh. yeah, it would be like almost like it would add some like humor, but like uncomfortably because this yes. is like an awful scene. Yeah, but it would also help with that whole Brechtian thing of like taking you out of it for a second, oh, yeah. you know, so you can look at it as a movie as opposed to being sucked into it again so this is where we're wondering who has the power in any of this situation and we realize oh it's definitely frank he makes her spread her legs he the, but the dialogue is very simple similar to what she, or she was doing with jeffrey you know don't fucking look at me and he's making her he's calling her mommy and yeah. he's obviously crazy and on drugs yeah, I half expected because of her calling him baby and him saying mommy after the fact that it was going to be one of those like those instances where the, he wants to feel like subservient because he's always at that level 10 dominance, but <laughs> right. not at all. Like he is still in charge and still like just yeah. awful. Yeah, and I was thinking the neighbors must hate 
them so bad because they are so loud and obviously people are getting beat up and (laughs) i mean just i I don't know i I mean mean, obviously they're scared of him probably if you've met him at all for sure (laughs) but it seems like a very seedy yeah kind of a park building just down the street from where jeffrey lives yeah that's what was so interesting because the world's smallest town though (laughs) yeah from the outside of that building it doesn't necessarily read as like that kind of building i thought it was going to be like you know this like kind of luxurious grand room because she's like this blues singer and right she's so beautiful but it's like all gray and dingy yeah ugh, dirty yeah we get into like the rape scene he hits her and i find it very interesting that it's almost the only time she smiles and the whole thing is when she's getting hit and you know that's obviously gonna come back because she's it's almost like she can't she hates herself she hates yeah her situation and being hit is like what makes her feel i guess maybe she wants to be hit because she just doesn't she feels like that's what she deserves yeah it's almost like i kind of really pain is that type of pain is preferable it's it's like the way she is able to feel something else other than yeah like the like extreme depression of her husband and and child yeah yeah she's like well i'm doing something to keep them alive she's like so if i know if he's hitting me that he's getting some satisfaction out of it so that you know he's not gonna right be angry and do something to get against me right and then later i i remember i went back to that scene where she smiles later when jeffrey right talks about her saying like he seems like she doesn't want to be alive anymore yeah and like maybe this is the only way she feels alive is when she feels that physical pain yeah definitely yeah because she's obviously in a lot of other pain but maybe she just needs that external and he says do it for van gogh so we get the impression that it's definitely that ear is definitely wrapped up in this whole scary mystery that we're now in right and so Frank leaves and Jeffrey is hooked. Yeah. <laughs> a vulnerable and abused woman needs his help. And, you know, he wanted to get into some crazy situation and now he can't. I mean, I you can't witness something like that and just Not, walk and away. Just detach yourself. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I was wondering how long has this been going on? How long has she been in this crazy situation? Yeah. She calls Jeffrey Dawn. And we find out later that's the name of her husband. Right. And she's just clinging to him and she wants him to hit her. Yeah. Because, Which again, is, she's got her wires crossed from all of this just abuse. Like, I had that, like, replaying in my mind after the movie ended to her just repeating, like, hit me, hit me. Yeah. And I'm just like, oh, so my sad. God, it's so awful. Yeah. Like, it made me feel so terrible. And we do find out at the end of this scene that she is married to Dawn because we find the picture of him and her son and see the, the marriage, marriage certificate. certificate. And at the very end, as he's leaving, you just hear her in the bathroom, help me, help me, help me, help me over and over again. And it was all, yeah, but, you know, poor Jeffrey also, he's like, what the hell? I'm yeah. in, I have gotten in so deep so quickly yeah. into this dramatic situation. I When I wrote down and what was going through my mind after he's, like, involving himself in these, like, events is, like, almost like the, the like, this, like, young boyish, like, adventurism, I would call it. Like, almost, like, almost Goonies-esque, uh-huh. but obviously elevated, where it's, like, you know, someone who's not trained or who has, like, the experience to be in these situations, but is, like, well, I can do it. I can, I'm invincible. Yeah. And it's just like, especially a young person. So. <laughs> yeah, and it it seemed very like grown up Goonies ish. Like he is just has this grand plan to break into her apartment. Like no normal person. Yeah. And I relate... all because of this ear he found. He just yeah was desperate to know. And it's like you know <laughs> loose information that Sandy heard. And I interpreted their relationship, like Sandy and Jeffrey, as Sandy is representative of the audience watching because the minute he says let's break into her apartment she's like what are you talking about (laughs) you're crazy yeah but we're all kind of like yeah do it we want to know what's happening in there too (laughs) and then she eventually comes around she's like all right let's do it yeah (laughs) so it's like we need the story to go along but i i feel like he is the he's representative of like the whole story like we've got to have this crazy like you know Almost like he's representative of David Lynch, like, taking us on this a crazy journey. And we're yeah. like, but it's crazy. Yeah. But I, we're going to do it. Yeah. I have read a couple of things that said that he's kind of a stand-in for Lynch in this movie. That um, makes sense. Actually, Lynch and Isabella Rossellini kind of got together for a while. After really? This. Yeah. Oh, then we have a dream 
Just a short clip of Jeffrey dreaming about Frank and Dorothy and his dad. Yeah. So obviously this is all mixed up in his head. But I do I wanted to point that out because he wakes up and he like touches the wall and there's this weird thing hanging over his bed. Yeah. And I was looking through the lost footage to see, do they explain this thing? I look I looked online. Does anyone have any explanation for what this it looks almost like a cross between a shrunken head and like I mean, a coconut with a mouth on it? <laughs> that's that's what I got the mouth. As I was like, I don't... Maybe it was... I don't know. Maybe it's the David Lynch inserting his original idea of having the nose of the mouth <laughs> into the story somehow. Yeah, maybe. And maybe it means something. Yeah. I'm just going to watch it again. Maybe when we get to Twin Peaks to return, there are some mouths. Oh, well, there's mouths throughout Twin Peaks. Well, we'll, we'll see. I just want to point that out because I just noticed it. I thought it was very bizarre. So... He calls Sandy from the store. We get to see a little more of Double Ed. At know, the register. At the register, which is fun. And then it's time for a date with Sandy to spill the tea about what happened last night. Yeah. <laughs> she is so dressed up. And they just go driving and they park by the church. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and Jeffrey is explaining what he thinks has happened to Dorothy. And the first time I watched it, he was describing what I also thought was happening to Dorothy. And I thought... Well, if that's what he thinks happened, then maybe I'm doubting myself now because it can't be that easy, but it really is. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty I, much the, what happened. He yeah. figures it out in the first day. I guess I, I was like kind of like surprised by his lack of detail because it oh, seemed wow. very like surface. I mean, obviously he didn't have to be he doesn't like, want to tell play Sandy by play. the real truth about what yeah, happened. <laughs> but it was like, it seemed like, you know, he was just like, oh, she's indebted to this guy, Frank, and he's awful and he has her husband and child and she needs help and i felt like that was kind of it and i was like but there's so much like it doesn't really get across the severity of it right which maybe was to keep sandy hooked yeah and i think he doesn't want to say like you know i was sexually attracted to her we both took off our clothes and there was a lot of uh, well, potential yeah. hanky panky going on although not quite yet and he does say with like the saddest tear-filled eyes why are there people like frank why is there so much trouble in this world and yeah. it's just so, you know. Innocent. Yeah, innocent. <laughs> like, and you I can know. tell he's having his existential crisis. <laughs> yeah, with his dad. Yeah. And it's, I don't know, it's a taste of the real world, I guess. Yeah, and that's pretty much the halfway mark. So, I mean, I thought when we got, when I got to that point, I was like, wow, how has it been an hour already? I cannot yeah. believe we're already an hour into this. <laughs> I know, I felt like, I wrote in my notes, even when we were at the detective's house, I was like, it was moving so fast, so fast paced, that I was like, I feel like there's hardly been any dialogue, but so much has happened. Yeah. It's so crazy. And that's all for the first half of our exploration of Blue Velvet by David Lynch. Christian, do you have a recommendation for the people for this week? I do. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and recommend a podcast. Uh, it's called Root of Evil, and it is a almost journalistic approach to the Black Dahlia murder. And it's just, it's really, I mean, you, everyone knows about this murder. It's probably one of the most infamous murders of all time. But you, I, you, once you get into this podcast, you really are surprised about how much you don't know. And it's just so cool to hear all these like things that were going on at the same time and it's done by these two sisters who are in this family that is somehow connected to this murder and I enjoyed it I it was so cinematic the way it was told and I breezed through the episode so fast because it was so enjoyable and so just I don't know like so <laughs> much I learned from this like podcast so I would recommend listening to it I downloaded the teaser and for, from your recommendation. I have not gotten to it yet because I was out of town last week, so I have had so <laughs> many podcasts. I don't know why I to can't just not listen to some, but I'm, I, I'm a completionist. What can I say? Yeah. Um, I'm going to say my recommendation for this week is a book that I've been listening to called Leviathan Wakes, and Ooh. it is what The Expanse, the series, it's on Amazon now is based on that is also a great television series but i'll recommend that later when it actually comes out for again for the fourth season but <laughs> leviathan wakes is the first book in the series and it's excellent if you like sci-fi if you like sweeping epic type dramas it's it's definitely one of the i would say it's one of the best sci-fi stories that i've read i have a big fantasy bent so 
you know, the bigger mm-hmm. the story is, the better I like it. And I would definitely recommend it. It's by James S.A. Corey. So definitely check that out. I'm listening to the audiobook, so it's really good if you're looking for a good audiobook to read. Yeah, that's my list. <laughs> so, and if you would like to get in touch with us, you can find us at mannersandmadness.com, on Twitter at mannersmadness, on Instagram at mannersandmadnesspod, or at gmail at mannersandmadness at gmail.com. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and we want to hear all your feedback. We want to hear what you like, what you don't like, any suggestions you might have. We just want to hear from you. Yes, and please rate and review and subscribe so that you can get our next podcast, which will be the second half of Blue Velvet. We yes. hope you'll join us then. Thank you. See you then. Good night. <laughs>